Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy, dedicated to celebrating women like you as you embrace a new beginning after divorce, separation, or whatever. I'm Mandy Walker, and I'm your host. Consider this. Your diamond ring, bridal set, or other diamond jewelry can be a hidden financial asset that helps you with that fresh start. But selling jewelry can be a nightmare. Worthy offers an easy, headache-free solution by partnering with you to help you sell your jewelry and get the best deal on your piece. Our quick and easy process means less work for you and more money when you sell, all done from the comfort of your home. Visit worthy.com to learn more. For this episode, we're talking about divorce and college planning. This is a topic that is fraught with complexities and the potential for disagreement, even for married couples. Divorce for many people means facing these issues, discussing them to see if there is the opportunity for a cooperative approach, and then figuring out what action to take now, even if you and your soon-to-be ex are not on the same page. And this is a landscape that shifts, that it changes to federal student aid, that means the approach that worked a few years ago may not work now. So it's it's complicated. My guest today is Brad Baldridge. Brad is a college funding expert who has helped thousands of families plan and save for college with smart, proven strategies to save time, money, and stress. He's a financial expert, He's a blogger, and he's the host of Timing the High Cost of College podcast. Welcome, Brad. Hi, thanks for having me. I am so glad you're here because I have lots of things for us to talk about, and I'm sure we're not going to get to everything, but we're going to do our our best to cover things that I think are really important issues for our listeners. So big picture... I don't think there's a state in the U.S. that requires parents to pay for their kids to go to college. So with that, it means that paying for your kid's college is really a a parenting philosophy. And I've met couples going through the divorce process where one parent will say, I'm not paying a penny. My parents didn't help me. I'm not doing it. And on the other extreme, another parent that says, no, I, I want to pay for everything. I want to pay for the whole undergraduate program. So it, it's a spectrum. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to that. Absolutely. I, I would agree that and oftentimes they could be married to each other or yes. divorcing each other. Yes. Where one, one, right, exactly. Where one says, well, my parents helped me a lot and I want to help a lot. Or my, my parents weren't able to help me and it was so hard now I really want to help my kids. So it's not so hard for them. So I've heard it all, you know, and again, there's lots of histories of how parents have done it. And again, and some parents didn't go to college and they're excited that their kids will get to go. So there's all kinds of varying degrees. Now, a catch 22 in all this is as far as the aid programs and the colleges are concerned, the parents are required to help based on the need-based financial aid system. So a typical 18-year-old is going to have to report mom and dad's income and assets, or at least one of them, if they're in a divorce or separated situation. And if the numbers are high, it's going to disqualify them from the, some of the programs. And then 
they can still go to college and the parents still don't need to pay, but then the student has to figure out how to fill the gap. And that's really challenging for the typical 18-year-old to say, well, the state school is going to cost me $20,000. I need to come up with $20,000 each year, even though mom and dad aren't willing to help. Yeah. And because they earn enough money that they disqualify me from all the programs, now I'm on the hook for the full twenty or 30000 That's hard. Right. So I was thinking, you know, it is really important to understand what your soon-to-be ex's philosophy is on college funding. And maybe, you know, to understand how they got there. And it could be, let's just assume that you're one of the parents who, for the purposes of our conversation, you're interested in supporting your child in some way getting college funding. So do you think that there's a point at which you communicate to your child about your philosophy and start setting expectations and understanding? Oh, absolutely. I think all families, married, divorced, blended, whatever, need to have that college discussion around around the finances. Right. The reality is, you know, the most expensive colleges now are 80, 85, 88,000. And if you've got a high school junior or sophomore, don't be surprised if it crosses 90 by the time they get there. Yeah. So, and that's per year. The average state school is about 27,000 right now. And that's total cost. So that's tuition, room and board, books, fees, beer, and pizza. So it's the whole cost of a typical student rolling out of high school and going off to college at a state school. Now, because it's so expensive, you you really need to have that college discussion of these are the limitations. Because if you don't, most students assume that parents are just going to shake the money tree and somehow pay for it. And they probably don't, they don't have that awareness of the difference between exactly right. So the, what it means and in-state and out-of-state. Oh, for sure. Right. And they don't think it's their problem. The typical teenager, again, of a middle income and up family, right? When they were 13 or 14 or 10 or whatever the age was at your household said, you know, that iPhone thing is pretty cool. I want one. And the next birthday or Christmas, there it was. And then they get to be 16, 17, and it's like, well, you know, if there was an extra car around, I could drive myself to sports and practice and clubs, and then it would be so much easier. And for many families, parents are like, yeah, I'm tired of being the taxi. Let's find a used car and let the kids drive that. Well, most students will just extrapolate that from, you know, a $1,000 phone or a $10,000 car or a $100,000 education. That's all expensive. It's all lots of money to them, but there's no difference really to them. They don't understand the big numbers very well. Right. So they think a $100,000 education is the next thing that you're going to create for them, just like you did the phone and the car. Yeah. I just have a little dig here that I, despite four years of high school math, they can't figure, they still don't make that connection because we don't teach financial literacy in a meaningful way. But so you're saying that it's important to have those conversations earlier with your child and start setting those expectations. And then I was thinking too, like having a parent who can help guide the child through that process makes a huge, huge difference to whether or not they go to college. Oh, absolutely. And on the flip side of that, college isn't the right path for everybody. And I think that's where there's a lot of confusion. I I, I believe everybody needs an education, but some people are going to go to the school of hard knocks. Some people are going to go to 
apprenticeships or on-the-job training right. of various sorts. There's certificate programs. There's two-year and four-year degrees. There's all the way up to you know PhD in grad school. Not every one of those paths is right for everyone. And that's where I think one of the, some of the biggest failures are the kids that start college, don't finish. They have a lot of debt. They've wasted a lot of time, but they don't even have the degree. Right. I mean, and that's, you know, one of the areas that I think most families would love to avoid. Yeah. It's how do we do it and not, you know, quote unquote, fail at this. Okay. Next kind of big question that comes up is the difference between saving for college, agreeing to save for college and agreeing to pay for college. Right. I would, yeah. For sure, right? I mean, so there's a couple different ideas there. There's also the saving on college instead of the saving for college. Okay. I'm so, thinking about sometimes like and sometimes I talk to parents who've got like really young kids and they do say there's some references in the state templates about say, you know, college expenses. And then we have to have this conversation about are you sure you want to commit to paying for college versus saving for college? Right. Absolutely. I think that's right. So the typical parent right now, I mean, if you save two or $300 per student, that might be a reasonable thing to do from the time they're born till the time they go off to college. Had you done that in two months? Yes. Yeah. Wow. Now that's very expensive. And a lot of families just aren't going to be able to do that, especially if you've got a lot of kids. So then the reality is, well, if we can't do that, how else is this going to come together? And, you know, when you have young kids, it's hard to see where, where life is going. Some families, you know, the parents' careers blossom and they earn a lot more money as they're moving into college years. Um, they get that job or the promotions and that type of thing where their income is climbing and college is, it's almost never easy, but it's doable, right? At various price points. And then other families, you're going to have to focus more on the lower cost options. How can we save some money? Can we do go to one school and transfer to another school? Or maybe the student's going to have to take on some debt or, again, making that all come together. Right. And then if you throw a divorce into the mix, that, of course, really rocks the boat because when you have a second household, all of a sudden, the expenses go up, the ability to save goes down, all while most parents are you know feeling guilty or concerned about the fact that college still needs to happen despite the divorce. So it, it can get very challenging and charged. So there's, you know, and again, there's things that when you go through a divorce or you're separated, there's some benefit. And again, not nearly enough benefit that you would want to do it on purpose, but let's make lemonade out of those lemons, right? Because you're divorced and separated, it changes how financial aid works as an example. So you'd want to leverage that and try and put the right parent on the financial aid as an example. So generally one parent is only reported. Okay. So let's dive into that. And say you talk about financial aid and it is just one parent that their finances get reported. Right. So if that parent's remarried, then the new spouse is actually the one that would be reported, which is, you know, so. So don't remarry remarry until your kids are through college, you're saying. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I have had a number of those types of discussions that we're thinking about getting married, but we still have kids in college, should we delay or not? And I can't answer the question about should you delay or not, but I can tell you what it'll cost you. Yes. Right. Where you do the math and you say, okay, well, you're going to lose this aid because you got married. 
Okay. If you want to, if you're okay with that, then go ahead and get married. Otherwise, maybe there's another plan, but that's, so yeah, I think the challenge is, and they've just changed the rules as well. So if anybody out there that's divorced or whatever, the results of financial aid calculations could be dramatically different for families that are receiving child support because they've changed the way the formulas work and child support is not, is, is treated more favorably than it used to be. So families that have you know, large amounts of child support in the past might not have qualified for need-based aid and now they will. Uh-huh. So if you're, you know, I've had families where they try the freshman year that nothing happened, they don't get any aid, so they give up and they don't reapply. Well, for sure, these next few years, you definitely need to go ahead and try again because what didn't work last year may work this year, even though nothing has changed on your financial side of things. Okay. Because the formulas have changed. Okay. I got a couple of things off there. So go back to like one parent is submitting the FAFSA. So really you want to engineer that to be the parent who has the lower income. Yes. Well, it's a combination of income and assets, but yes, generally there is a parent that might be the better choice. And then you want to pick that parent and make that happen if you can. Right. So it's a, a better choice from a financial perspective. So no judgment on parenting skills, relationship with child or anything, but it's financially- right. It's the person who has the the lower finances. So it's my understanding that um, FASA doesn't look at what the parenting plan said, or it just it, it's a honor based system that says which parent does the child spend the most time with. Well, that's the way it used to be. That's another okay. change. Not now, so change. Good, good. Effectively, effective with the financial aid we're filling out this fall. So yeah, the, it has changed to the parent who has provided the most support. So now it doesn't matter where the student lives. It's whoever provided the most support. And support is defined as financial support? Yes. It's very murky. What they're trying to do <laughs> is, is make it more closely follow the way taxes work. Because what one of the challenges in the past is, you know, so they're setting up financial aid so that they can transfer data directly from a tax return to the FAFSA. Right. So they want it to be, you know, in a divorce situation, it gets more complicated, but their goal is to say, let's use the same parent that's claiming the student is what they're trying to do. Okay. In reality, that may or may not be actually true yeah. because of the way claiming works. Right. But when the politicians made the rules, they didn't understand how the world works. So it's we're still waiting to see how it's going to be interpreted because oh they make, gosh. you know, that's typically how these rules work, right? Is the politicians say something broadly like we're going to make Pell Grants more available. And then it's up to the Department of Education to say, well, what does that mean? And how do we actually put that into applications and forms and codes and rules? Right. And we don't have the applications, forms, codes and rules yet. We just have the broader statements. So that kind of goes back to my point in the intro is that this landscape changes all the time. Absolutely. So, um, and Brad, we, we're going to have to take a, a short break here, but we're going to be back with more questions. Listeners, my guest today is Brad Bouldridge. He is, as you've heard, a college funding specialist who's helped thousands of families plan and save college. And do stay tuned because we are going to be right back. Before we get back to this week's episode, I want to remind you to visit worthy.com 
forward slash survey and answer a few questions about the podcast in order to be entered to win a $100 Visa gift card. We greatly appreciate your feedback. Now, back to the episode. Welcome back to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. I'm your host, Mandy Walker, and in this episode, we're talking about college planning and divorce. My guest today is Brad Baldridge. Brad is a college funding specialist. He's a financial expert, blogger, and host of the Taming the High Cost of College podcast. Brad, let me ask you, before we dive back into my questions, is um, when you're working with a parent who's divorced, or parents who are divorced, are you typically consulting with both or are most parents able to set aside their differences and work together on this in your experience? Well, the reality is it's a spectrum, right? I I am definitely working with one parent and they're in that situation where they're holding the college bag, whether the other parent is unavailable or, you know, skipped out or just don't know where they are, or they're just not willing to participate. But sometimes there's a little bit of politics around where one parent says education is important. I'm going to take it upon myself to make it happen no matter what the ex says about it or does about it, right? So that's one situation is how do we make this happen even though we're getting zero cooperation? And we can work through that and and it happens that way quite often. But on the other end of the spectrum, I've had families come to me pre-divorce saying, well, we're separated. We're on our way to divorce education is the most important thing. How do we make sure that education happens despite this divorce and they're completely cooperative and they'll do whatever it takes to, again, make those, make that lemonade out of lemons. It's, it's, you know, it's an unfortunate situation, but at least they, you know, again, try and pick the right parent on financial aid, figure out how much, you know, where the savings, if they've already have college savings, who should own the savings so that it doesn't impact aid as much. You know, again, figure out if they're going to qualify for more aid because of the divorce or less or whatever it might be. And they work together. So they're Um, able to put their child's best interests beyond that, above that. Exactly. And, you know, so like I said, and of course, I also work with situations where, you know, I've had a few situations where the the marital differences were resolved and the divorce ultimately didn't happen. And they got back together in college, you know, all those, you know. Changing landscapes are part of what makes co- you know college more complicated, right? And in the end, most parents aren't willing to say you know college is canceled because we can't figure it out. Most of the time, at least the parents I talk to, which would make sense, of course, right? The parents I talk to, they say we're going to figure this out somehow, yes. and the and it's just a matter of well, what's the best way? What's the best path? Right. And uh, obviously, if, if they say college is canceled and we're not interested, they would probably never call me because right. Obviously. So your services, you're helping them figure out like what is their expectations for costs of college and then what f- savings they've got so far and then what to do about the gap and what they could expect in scholarships or federal aid. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's the broad planning of, well, don't pick an $80,000 school if you can't afford $80,000 a year is one way to look at it. However, if you're going to, you could pick an $80,000 school if you're going to get 60,000 in scholarships. Yeah. So understanding how the whole process works to figure out what types of schools might be appropriate, figuring out the actual process of filling out the, you know, so there's the 
the process, filling out the forms and doing the visits and doing all that kind of stuff. There's the broad planning around as a philosophy, we as parents are going to pay for it all, or we're going to pay for some, or we're not paying yeah. for anything. We still want them to go to college. We just can't pay for it. So right. we want them to pay for it. Yeah. And because we're kind of on the hook, we got to figure out, well, what kind of loans can we co-sign or how is that going to work? You know, so the big picture all the way down to the very tactics of, okay, this parent is better than that parent because of these factors. If you go to these kind of schools, so right. under, you know, the very tactics, or if you do this instead of that, you'll get a little bit more of aid. If, okay. you know, when you put money in retirement, do it this way instead of that way. And it'll give you a thousand dollar grant, you know, okay. so the tactics, big picture process, all of that kind of together. That sounds like an amazing service. And I'm going to make sure we'll make sure that we put your website link in the show notes. So our listeners know how to reach you. Absolutely. I, I, I want to jump back to our conversation before the break. And we were talking about you would be filling out FAFSA, the federal aid application in October-ish this year and fall this year. And that's for the twenty, the school year that starts in September 2024, October or August 2024. Correct. Yes. So what tax return is that based off? Is it based off 2022 tax return then? That's correct. So if you're getting divorced now and your 2023 taxes are going to be as you're going to be filing separately. Right. Those don't get used. You don't get to do that as divorced parents until the following year. That's correct, right? So there's this confusing process of there's a almost a two year look back where yeah, where again a 2024 graduate of high school is going to start college in 2024 in the fall. It's going to and they're going to fill out financial aid in 2023 using 2022 taxes. Yeah. And a lot may have changed in those years that transpired. So divorce being one of them or separation. And then there's rules and procedures. Again, why it's more complicated when you're, you know, going through or divorced, there's rules and procedures where you can actually redo the taxes as if you were separated or single when you apply, because that's the status you have now, even though when you look back, you filed a joint return two years ago. So you really don't want to use the joint return if it doesn't apply to your situation. You want to recreate a return that is more applicable to where you are now. But that means, I mean, you're saying file amended, file an amended tax return? No, no. It, this has nothing to do with actual taxes. Okay. This is just financial aid. So you got to make up a pretend tax return and it would represent what it would have been had you been divorced at that point. So- if mom is the one that's on the financial aid forms, we would include mom's income and mom's assets, but we would exclude dad's. And then we would have to say, you know, and again, kind of rebuild it with those assumptions, even though you did it right as far as the IRS is concerned. So you don't want to change that. You don't want to get in trouble with the IRS. You just want to change the answers. And oftentimes you have to work with the college on at this point as well, because yeah. the normal system of just grabbing information off the tax return and putting it over isn't applicable because it it, it has to be reworked essentially. Right. Right. Okay. Another reason for somebody to use a college planning expert like yourself. Exactly. Um, So I've always thought like FAFSA, when you, once your kid gets into college, you, you should fill out FAFSA every year because there's nothing to lose by filling it out. You might gain something. 
Yes. To your earlier point that one year you might not have gotten much aid, but the next year the rules could change and yes. um, you'd fill it out. So one of the things that I'm being mindful of our time here, one of the things I deal with is a divorce mediator, a, a people who have actually started saving for college, they've got 529 plan. And it's usually with one person is the custodian and then it, the child is the beneficiary. And we, in divorce, treat that as the child's asset. It's not divisible, but usually I would say then the withdrawals from the account have to be approved by both parties. Question for you is getting divorced, does that mean afterwards, should you try split that 529 plan between the two parents? Or if they're still going to make contributions and they're both going to make it, should they have two 529 plans, one in the name of one parent and one in the name of the other parent? There's pros and cons depending on which direction you go. So I would say you want to have a 529 plan. Not necessarily it has to be separate, but that might be the answer. But here's the challenge. So in a divorce situation, you report the assets of the one parent. So if the other parent owns the 529s, that's better from a financial aid perspective. Okay. However, if you don't trust that that money is going to be spent on college, or you're afraid that your ex is going to say things like, well, I'm not willing to pay for this college or that college, then you might need to have it separated or keep it all in your own control, right? So there's control, there's issues about who makes the decisions of when we take it out and spend it and that kind of stuff. There's also um, who has to report it, how, when we talk about financial aid and then there's tax benefits and who gets the tax benefits for putting money in and taking it out and all that kind of stuff and who pays the penalties. So all these worlds kind of come together. So there isn't necessarily a perfect plan. It might be if we do it this way, this is the benefits yeah. and the drawbacks. And if we do it that way, these are the benefits and the drawbacks. Which benefits and drawbacks are most important for us? Oh, yes. You know, I say to people so many times that I'm working through the divorcing, I, I can't tell you what to do. What I, my job is to tell you the pros and cons uh, right. all of these financial decisions and the topics that we're talking about. And then you're the person who's best placed to assess each of those risks and what's right. going to work for your family situation. And there's, I think there's another challenge too, in that the, the divorce industry has not kept up with college and other things. And, you know, as an example, healthcare, you can be on a parent's plan until this kids are 26 that's kind of ignored when we talk about, well, who, are you going to force me to, to have a coverage and wh whose well, coverage? And, you know, it continues to, it's a commitment till 26, it's not 18. And I don't think that's clear for most parents. And, you know, speaking for Colorado, Colorado doesn't have jurisdiction after child's 18. Right. So that's why most of the people I deal with actually don't want to address that in any formal agreement because they'd rather keep the court out of it. If they yep. Exactly. Here's the reality of when you don't put it in an agreement is you're kind of saying, we'll fight about that later. Yeah. Right. If we don't talk about it and agree to something now, well, then it's going to come up later. Gosh. And that's when we're going to talk about it. So, or fight about it or, <laughs> so that's a, a kind of a catch 22 there as well. Well, so Brad, we knew that we now are going to cover everything in this, this conversation. Hey, you have a whole podcast on this. So Right. So what we're doing here is kind of scratching a little bit of the surface, but you know we're almost out of time. I've got. I, I'm wondering if you've got one nugget, one piece of wisdom 
that you would share with our listeners? Yeah. So start early, earlier than you think. I mean, sophomore year, freshman year of high school, when you're doing what I would call the late stage planning, where you're starting to say, well, let's pick colleges, let's visit colleges, let's figure out if we're going to qualify for aid and that kind of stuff. A lot of that stuff, your student may not be ready, right? It's a, a high school freshman is not ready to visit a college, but parents of a high school freshman could start figuring out, well, I going to qualify for aid. Let's talk with each other. We're, you know, it's going to be a charged subject. We're going to argue a lot. We know it's going to take a lot of time to hammer this out. So let's spend a little time talking about it and get started so that we can move the ball along, whatever it is, because in a divorce situation, there's who's going to pay, but also who's going to do, who's yeah. going to do the visits, who's going to do the applications, who's going to run the show. Who's going to it, take the more time. All the administration, you know, I've had two, two kids go through college and with 529 plans and all of that. And I remember all of the, the logistics that you have to manage through right. all of that. So yeah, it, yeah, important. Right. Exactly. So it's going to, and it's more complex than it used to be. So a lot of parents, when they went to college, they might've put it off till junior year or even senior year. The way it works today, I mean, you can do that, but then it's going to be a constant stress of we're behind. We got to do all this quickly. You know, you'll make your life much smoother if you just go ahead and, and get started early. Plus there's rules around, you know, again, that double look back, right? We're talking about tax returns that you're filing when your kids are sophomores. Maybe you can make that tax return better, or maybe we got to decide who's going to be on the, on the yeah. FAFSA early so that you can take advantage of all this planning. Right. So you need to start a lot earlier than parents realize, I think, in most situations. I, th I think you're spot on the mark there, Brad. And I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Listeners, my guest today was Brad Baldridge. Brad is a college funding specialist who has helped thousands of families plan, save for college with smart and proven strategies to save time, money, and stress. He's a financial expert, blogger, and host of the Taming the High Cost of College podcast. Thanks for listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. Worthy is a selling partner you can trust to help you get the best deal possible on your diamond jewelry. Visit worthy.com to learn more and get started. If you have questions about an episode, compliments you'd like to share, or would like to be a guest, please email us at podcast at worthy.com. Follow the podcast at We Are So Worthy on Instagram or see our Facebook page, Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, for information about the show. Please see our show notes at worthy.com forward slash podcast for resources and more information about today's episode and guest. I'm your host, Mandy Walker. You can learn more about me at mandywalker.com. Huge thank yous to Worthy's production team. Listen, follow, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Our next episode will be live in two weeks, so stay tuned. Disclosures. The information provided to you today is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to be specific recommendations or advice. Please consult with a qualified professional before acting on any of this material.
Investing involves risk. Depending on the types of investments, there may be varying degrees of risk. Investors should be prepared to bear loss, including total loss of principal. 529 College Savings Plan Disclosures Investors should carefully consider investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This information and other important information are contained in the Fund Prospectuses, Summary Prospectuses, and the 529 Product Program Description. These documents can be obtained from a financial professional or directly from the plan's website. Please read them carefully before investing. Depending on your state of residence, there may be an in-state plan that offers tax and other benefits, which may include financial aid, scholarship funds, and protection from creditors. Before investing in any state's 529 plan, investors should consult a tax professional. If withdrawals from 529 plans are used for purposes other than qualified education, the withdrawal could be subject to a 10% federal tax penalty, state penalties, federal income tax, and state income tax. Brad Baldridge's Disclosures Brad Baldridge is a registered representative with Cambridge Investment Research, Incorporated. Securities are offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Incorporated, a broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Brad Baldridge is also an investment advisor representative with Cambridge Investment Research Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Baldridge Wealth Management and Baldridge College Solutions are affiliated. Cambridge and the Baldridge Companies are not affiliated. The registered branch location is 2810 South Calhoun Road, New Berlin, Wisconsin, 53151.